Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we rejoice in your mercy because we know how undeserving we are. Lord, if we are honest, we know the depth of the depravity of our own hearts, how wicked we are, how unworthy of a people we are, and yet you have chosen to love us. We rejoice in the good news of the gospel this morning. The gospel that is the power of salvation to all who believe. Heavenly Father, this morning we rejoice that our hope is not in our own works. That there is nothing that we can do to earn your favor. To gain even one ounce of salvation, but our only hope is in Christ alone. That is where we stand this morning. That is our hope, not just for salvation, but for change and growth. So Lord, even as we gather here this morning, we cry out, even so, come Lord Jesus. And yet while we are here, give us strength and mercy each day to be faithful to the tasks that you have called us to, to be ambassadors for the gospel where you have called us. So Lord, I pray that even in this hour that you would lead, that you would guide my thoughts and my words that I would speak with authority and clarity as we look at this passage, that your name would be lifted high. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was on January 22nd, 1973, that the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution of the United States conferred the right to have an abortion. In his majority opinion, Justice Harry A. Blackman wrote this, that the court held that the laws that criminalized, criminalized abortion violated a woman's constitutional right of process, a right which it found to be implicit in the liberty guaranteed of the due process clause of the Fourth Amendment. It's a clause that reads, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. If it were not such a complete miscarriage of justice, the irony of a clause that reads that no one shall be deprived of life, liberty, and property, the fact that that would be used to legalize the murder of a child and the barbaric act of abortion would be laughable. In fact, according to the organization National Right to Life, there have been over 63 million lives lost to abortion since the Supreme Court's infamous decision in 1973. But today, we stand here on January 22nd, 2023, 50 years to the, to the date after the initial ruling of Roe versus Wade. And as we sit here today, we have reason to rejoice. As many of you know, last year Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, a decision that many of us never thought that we would see. 
Unlike his predecessor, Justin Blackman, Justice Samuel Alito, writing the majority opinion in 2022, said this, that the 1973 Roe ruling and the repeated subsequent high court decisions reaffirming Roe must be overruled because they are egregiously wrong and the arguments exceptionally weak and so damaging that they amounted to an abuse of judicial authority. This morning we agree with Justice Alito and we rejoice in the court's ruling and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So today we rejoice. The Lord has heard our prayer. Something that we never thought that we would see, at least I never thought that I would see in my lifetime. Yet we must be clear this morning that the fight for life is not over. Rather, it's merely a shift of focus from the national level to the local level, from the abortion clinic to the local pharmacy. And yet this morning, I want to simply remind us that even as we rejoice in this legislation, brothers and sisters, our hope is not in legislation. Our hope is not in any legislature. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Maybe even as I say that, maybe there's a little few eye rolls out there. Right? Like, of course our hope is in the gospel. That's the obvious answer. In fact, it's so obvious that we often skip right over it. And how many Sunday school or Bible study questions begin with a question phrase something like this, besides the gospel, what is the greatest need of our community? Or maybe something like this, besides preaching the gospel, what can you do to impact your community for Christ or to make a difference? And I understand the purpose of questions like that. In fact, I've, I've asked them myself. But sometimes it is good for us to pause and to meditate on that obvious answer before rushing right past it. Rather than saying, besides the gospel, I want to pause this morning and I want to say, look at the gospel. We need to be reminded of the power of the gospel because it is truly our only hope. And so this morning, as we celebrate the, the passing of legislation overturning Roe versus Wade, as we celebrate the lives that have been saved, as we stand here, sit here, on national Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, 50 years to the date after the passing of Roe versus Wade. I don't want to rail against the evils of abortion. Instead, this morning, I want to draw our eyes to the glory and the power of the gospel. So join me in Romans 1, verses 16 to 17. Romans is a powerful book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Paul, as he starts out in, in the beginning, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. 
continues to go forth. He, he, he desires to visit Rome. He's not had the opportunity yet, so he's writing them this letter. I, I, I want to come. And many have called verses 16 to 17 really the, the kind of the theme verses of the book of Romans. Powerful verses, glorious gospel, glorious verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So we're going to work our way through this. We're going to look at this gospel of which the Apostle Paul is not ashamed. This morning we're going to see the power of the gospel, the accessibility of the gospel, and the beauty of the gospel. I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. I did not put together a... Um, weekly worship guide, as I, as I typically do. Um, so we're going to just go through this, and you'll have to be on your own for notes. Sorry about that. But the first thing that we see in this passage is the power of the gospel. Paul, writing to these believers in Rome, these believers that he so desires to visit, starts this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed. I am unashamed. In fact, the, the implication is here is, is not just that Paul has no shame, but that he is eager. Not just that he's not ashamed, but that he loves it. It dominates his conversation. It defines who he is. I'm not just not ashamed of this. This is the only thing that matters. This is everything to me. It's a beautiful passage, I am not ashamed, and yet it's kind of an odd way to phrase it, is it not? Why would Paul say, I am not ashamed, instead of saying, guys, I am proud of the gospel? Why does he say, I am not ashamed? I think the reality is because whether we want to admit it or not, there is a temptation for us to be ashamed of the gospel. There's a temptation for us to undervalue the gospel. Paul knows this. And as great as Paul's ministry was, I guarantee you that Paul himself felt this. I am not ashamed. As Paul is writing this, the church is relatively small. It is new. It is, it is politically insignificant and powerless. And yet Paul does not back down against the powerful Roman Empire. He doesn't shrink away against educated religious leaders of Jerusalem or against the well-versed philosophers of Athens. Whether everywhere that Paul goes, he stands forth and he preaches in boldness. And this is not a man who is inexperienced that is saying this. This is a man who in Acts 16 was imprisoned in Philippi. This is a man who was chased out of Thessalonica, had to be smuggled out of Berea, who in Corinth, he was regarded as a fool. He was stoned in Galatia and left for dead. 
And yet, this very same man, as he writes this book, says, I am eager to come and to preach to you. He's not just not ashamed of the gospel. He loves the gospel. The gospel, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it's a message that is offensive. To the world around us, it seems foolish. And really, you can understand where the message of the gospel would be offensive, right? Because the message of the gospel starts with the bad news that you are a sinner. Before the good news of the gospel comes, it begins with the bad news that you are a sinner and you deserve to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. Not because God is mean, but because of your sin. For God is just. And God is holy. In fact, Paul will go on in Romans 3.23 to tell us that all have sinned. In Romans 6.23, that the wages for that sin is death. That's the wage. That is what you deserve. What is rightfully yours because of your sin is death. Separation from God, eternity in hell. That's an offensive message. Praise the Lord that the gospel does not stop with the offensive part of the message, but it goes on to the powerful, glorious part of the good news. That yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Paul goes on to say here, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 18, the verse we looked at earlier that tells us that the gospel is an offensive message, it goes on to say, but to those who believe, it is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, as believers, our hope is not in legislation. That's not where our power lies but we have the power of the gospel, the power of God at work for salvation. It is the omnipotence of God put to work for the salvation of sinful man. It is the power to break the chains of sin, the power to conquer the power of the grave. It is a power like none other. Like a king's seal on a letter that is backed by the full power of the monarchy, so the gospel is backed by the full power of God himself. Notice what it says there, the power of God to salvation. Not just the power of God to conversion, but this is a full, a robust salvation. The power of God, not just to start something in you, but the power of God to bring it to completion. The power of God to change you from death to life, from outside to inside, even as we've seen in Ephesians 2. 
This is the power of God at work for you. In fact, Romans 8 will go on as, as Paul continues to write this, this book. And it gets into Romans 8, 18 and following. We see that, that creation itself is suffering under the curse of sin. And yet creation rejoices as the gospel goes forth, looking forward to the day when creation itself will be made new. When creation itself will be delivered from the curse of sin, and it is God himself that does this. It is God's power at work. This is a robust, a full salvation. God is making all things new. He will complete what he has begun, as Paul goes on to say in Philippians 1. This is not something to be ashamed of. This is not something to run from. In fact, Paul himself knows this power of the gospel. You know the story of Paul, many of you. Paul was no fool. Paul was trained in the best synagogues with the best teachers. He was a star, if you will, in the realm of Judaism. In fact, we're first introduced to Paul in Romans 7 and in Acts 7 and 8. It's really a glorious passage. In Acts 6, as the church is getting established, they elect deacons. One of these is Stephen, who goes on in Acts 7. He preaches this powerful message. Yet what ends up happening to Stephen? He's stoned. We've talked about some of the things that, that Paul faced. Stephen stands up and preaches boldly. And how do the people respond? They kill him. You say, well, how does that apply to Paul? Because Paul was there. In fact, we're told that Paul held their coats while they stoned him. Paul watched as this saint stood there and as he glorified God, even as he's being stoned to death and as he cries out, forgive them. Paul saw the power of the gospel at work in Stephen. Paul felt the gospel, the power of the gospel at work in himself. Paul goes on from there to continue to persecute the church until one day God meets him on the road and God calls him to salvation and to ministry and, and, and Paul falls down. And Paul's life is changed by the grace of God. Miraculously. Powerfully. This is a man who himself has been changed by the power of the gospel. He knows what he is speaking of. This is not something to be ashamed of. Not something to, to hide or to cover up. This is something to be shouted from the rooftops. To be proclaimed and lived out everywhere. Because this is the power of God to salvation. But not just do we see the power of God, we also see the accessibility of the gospel here. 
That's good, Paul, that the gospel has this power, but, but who is it for? Surely it's not for me. I know my heart. I know how desperately wicked I am. I know how unfaithful I am. Your brothers and sisters, the power of the gospel to salvation is for even you. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power of God at work to save is available to everyone, everywhere, anyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. We see that even at the the founding of the uh, church, the beginning of, of Acts 1 even. As Jesus is going away and he sends out his disciples and he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Starting right here, God's covenant people, a people to whom God will be faithful. He will fulfill the promises that he has given them. For everyone who believes, who believes what? Paul doesn't clarify here. He just says for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He does go on to clarify throughout the book of Romans. Even Romans 10, verses 9 to 10. A passage that many of you know. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe what? That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who believes, everyone who believes what? Everyone who understands that they are a sinner and believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me. And not just that he died for me, but that he rose again victorious. That he ascended on high to the right hand of the Father. The gospel is Jesus' birth, death, resurrection. His death and resurrection in your place for your sin. I remember very clearly when I was saved. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church every Sunday. I knew the gospel from a young age. I I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. As a young man, I I could have told you the gospel. But knowing it is not the same as believing it. And I'll never forget, I was, I was, young, I was in kindergarten, and we were learning, um, studying the, the idea of, of God as shepherd. Even Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And for some reason, in my little five-year-old mind, that, that kind of brought it all together, and it made it click. Right? There's possession there. The Lord is my shepherd. And as a five-year-old, I realized the Lord is a shepherd, but I can't say he's my shepherd. I want him to be my shepherd. That is belief. 
The moment that you recognize that, that yes, God is good and he is powerful and Jesus Christ has died on the cross, but he did not just die, he died in my place for my sin. He bore my penalty. Do you believe that? Has there been a time in your life when that, that light bulb has gone off and you've, you've understood it has clicked? It's not just that it's a fact. It's that it happened for me. It leads us to repentance. If this is true, we fall down on our knees before, Lord, forgive me. I place my faith in Christ. I understand that it's not a righteousness that is mine, but I need Him, what He has done. This is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There's no reason to be ashamed. The gospel will never fail. It's not one of those things that, that you're talking to people over here and yeah, you can boldly proclaim it, but, but over here you've got to kind of be quiet and, and hold it under you know, a bushel because for the, it's not for these people. It's just for these. The gospel is for everyone whether in the courts of Rome or the back streets of Jerusalem. There's no reason to ever be ashamed. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. How does this work? How can a sinner be saved? And this is the beauty of the gospel, verse 17. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in Romans 6. For in it, that's the gospel, the gospel of Christ, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God for me. The beauty of the gospel is that by the power and grace of God, the sinner is declared to be righteous by God. I am a sinner and I deserve death. But as Jesus Christ died, he takes my death and he gives me his righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of God applied to my accounts. It's nothing that I could earn. It's only a gift. And it is from faith to faith. That's, that's from beginning to end. Going back to the idea of robust and full. It's not just, he starts you out on the right path. You've been saved. All right, now go this way, and I'll see you when you get to heaven. But he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. My sanctification is no more my responsibility than my salvation. God is at work in me. Working through the word of God. Working through the church. Working through the saints. Molding me into his image. God will complete in me what he has begun. His promise will be fulfilled. For he is faithful. 
It is not my righteousness. It is his righteousness. In me, from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith, not by works, lest we boast, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, even as we rejoice in God-honoring legislation, even as we praise the Lord for the lives saved through the striking down of Roe versus Wade, even, as while, even while we pray for wisdom for our leaders and for the cause of life to march on, this morning, we place our hope firmly in the gospel alone. Today, as we gather on the sanctity of human life Sunday, and as we rejoice, our prayer today is not that wicked men will change their minds. Our prayer is that a righteous God would change their hearts through the power of the gospel. Change in this country will not come from the halls of Congress. Change will come from the preaching of the gospel by faithful, bold saints in their living rooms at home, in their break rooms at work, and in their classrooms at school. So you say, what does the message of the gospel have to do with the sanctity of human life? Because the message of the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Revelation 1.7 says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Brothers and sisters, he is coming. We long for that day when all things will be made right, but until then, preach the gospel with boldness. For it and it alone is the power of God to salvation.